as I was in the oil industry and I didn't have time to vacation. I didn't have time to date, much less start a family, much less anything else, you know? And I thought, this is no way to live. All right, welcome everyone to the Passive Road to Retirement podcast. Today we are joined by Travis Watts. Welcome, Travis. Hey, Andrew, thanks for having me, man. Thanks for coming on. So You bet. Well, let's, uh, let's dive right into it. Um, for those who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about your background? And uh, also, you know, something that most people don't know about you. Oh, man. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, the uh, background's pretty interesting. So when I was a kid, so I'd say, you know, birth through 18, uh, my parents, uh, by the way, they, they divorced when I was five, but I got two completely different perspectives about money. Although the one thing that was in common was frugality. So my whole upbringing and childhood was about let's use coupons, let's shop the clearance rack, let's buy the off-brand, let's not buy things we don't need, et cetera. And I had mixed emotions about that growing up, sometimes would rebel against that philosophy and other times would just accept it as as normalcy. Um, Later became very grateful in life to have had that upbringing in hindsight, taught me a lot just about uh, understanding the fundamentals of just personal finance, right? I mean, I'm sure we all know of the examples of celebrities and lottery winners that go broke and go bust, you know, because they don't have the fundamentals down of just personal 101 finance. I didn't realize the impact until I got into investing, which was a journey I had to take on my own starting at 18 and into adulthood. And then I just realized that with so many folks, it just doesn't matter how much money they make or you give them. If you don't have your fundamentals tied down, you'll just lose it. Sure. And um, so that that kind of became uh, my background. My dad, early on, he gave me a book. He's a big uh, garage sailor. <laughs> and I was out visiting my dad and comes home one day with this book. And he says, here, you might be interested in that. I was kind of a a nerdy kid interested in numbers and, and and math, even though math was actually my worst subject, but I guess I just really wanted to understand it better. I don't know. So this book he gives me was um, Rich Dad Prophecy, a book not many people have read. Everyone obviously talks about Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki's you know groundbreaking, uh, groundbreaking book. This came out after that. And all it really taught me was um, you know, there's going to be the stock market crash at some point in the future. Don't be in the stocks, you know, be in real estate or other other asset classes. And I knew nothing about investing, but I did take a note of that. And I said, okay, fine. I'm not going to do the stock market then. And um, that was my only takeaway. And this was in high school, 2008, 2009 rolls around. Thankfully, I didn't have anything in the stock market due to that book. Uh, but I did plant a seed that I do want to get into real estate at some point uh, when feasible, when possible. So I bought my first property in 2009 after the markets had mostly corrected, but not fully corrected. And that's important to keep in mind because a lot of people will say, oh, didn't you just time it perfect? Well, no, I didn't. I, uh, <laughs> I dove in where I saw a discount, but you know, property prices kept declining when I jumped in. Uh, for a while. They they stagnated and bounced back, as we all know. Um, but yeah, man, just bought a, a, a two-bed, one-bath, and I started with house hacking. And so, uh, rented a spare bedroom out, if if your listeners aren't familiar with, with the term. And um, yeah, I was to a college student. You know, I had a mortgage of like $650 a month. This this uh, this college kid's paying me $600 a month for rent. And I'm thinking, hey, man, 
right out of college, living for free almost. Pretty cool. So that was my first eye opener to real estate, passive income, financial independence. You know, these concepts were becoming real, not just reading a book. And did some fix and flips, did some vacation rentals, um, continued house hacking actually for many years and uh, in different ways and, and with Airbnb and different things. And then I burned out. You know, I, I know a lot of your listeners and myself included back back then are, you know, I was a W-2 guy and I worked in the oil industry. And so that was about 14 hours a day, 98 hours per week. I was out of state all the time. I, I worked in Saudi Arabia and the Middle East in Kuwait. And, and it was just, it was taxing, man. It was, it was all of my life, all of my time, all my energy was just sucked into that job. And I'm trying to scale this single family portfolio and, you know, property one's exciting and property three's exciting and probably, but, you know, as you start stacking them up, it's like, okay, it's taking more and more of my time. You know, banks are starting to say, hey, you know, I don't know if we're going to lend you anymore. You got a lot of debt on your books. And it just became very difficult to scale. And in uh, 2015 is when I transitioned into passive investing. You know, I I just recognized this was kind of my aha moment. Mm -hmm. I want to be in real estate. I like leverage. I like the tax advantages. I like the cash flow. I like the appreciation. Like the idea that everyone needs a place to live. I just don't want to manage the real estate. It was becoming too much of a job for me. So from 2015 through today, uh, I've been a full-time passive uh, real estate investor, mostly in uh, multifamily syndications uh, as a limited partner. So my outreach today is just helping people understand the pros, the cons, the risks, et cetera, of of doing this type of thing. Though I may be an extreme example that I'm full-time, most people are probably part-time or this is just one asset class they invest in among many things like that. So anyway, kind of long-winded, but that's my background uh, in a nutshell. No, that's great. It's funny. I started out uh, in a similar way. I bought a duplex owner price and uh, rented two rooms out to my buddies upstairs and rented downstairs and I was getting paid to live there. So it's a great way to start, you know? (laughs) Absolutely is. Absolutely is. Yep. So, well, what, uh, what are you excited about right now, I guess, and what, you know, what keeps you up at night? I am just a a fanatic for learning new things, self-educating, always trying to keep up with you know, what's the Fed doing? What are interest rates doing? What's the stock market doing? You know, I I just like to keep up from a macro level. I don't like to spend, you know, all my days and all my time doing this stuff, but I'm always learning new strategies, new tactics. I'm always vetting out new operators, new deals, and, um, and, and just helping, you know, coach people. I don't, I don't do that through like a paid program or anything. It's just something I offer to, to folks on a, weekly basis. I have a a calendar link of 15 minutes. People connect. I don't care if you're 18 years old, 70 years old, you know, brand new, very senior and experienced. I like networking with people and just trying to add value uh, where I can. So, you know, that's my motivator right there is I, I went from a position where I had no spare time, absolutely no spare time in my life to freeing up a a lot of time <laughs> to where I had to kind of now say, okay, how am I going to fill in this time? Right. Yeah. And, and the, the beautiful thing for anybody listening about financial independence, financial freedom, whatever you want to call it, time freedom is what I call it. It's about freeing up your time to be able to focus on things that you're most passionate about. And everybody's different, right? Spending time with kids or family or travel or working part-time instead of full-time or 
you know, if, if you're older, maybe just retiring in general. That's the beautiful thing about cash flow and passive income. And that's why I'm such an advocate for helping coach people on, on what that means and how that works. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Speaking of, you know, all these investments you have, the cash flows, uh, most people have a hard time, you know, starting. So I guess what would be your you know, top strategy uh, for creating, you know, a passive income stream? That's a good question. And I'm asked all the time, you know, if I were to have to start over again from scratch or with nothing, would I be a passive investor on day one? Uh, which I was not, you know, I was an active investor as as I shared. And, and the answer is no, I probably wouldn't be a passive investor. And I'll give an example. If you're younger or you're starting with little to no capital, we, we already talked about house hacking and the power of that. But a lot of times your lifestyle decisions on money can have a bigger impact on your bottom line than your investments can. And I'll give you an example. If, if you're able to cut $300 out of your monthly budget just by not going to restaurants as much and buying the Starbucks all the time and, and, and these kinds of things, mm-hmm. that's 3,600 bucks a year. So think about it now in terms of passive income. Well, I would have to, let's say I invest $5,000 into something that gives me a 10% annualized return. That's only 500 bucks. So I have a far greater potential in the beginning to just save money, be frugal. Again, that's why I can now appreciate kind of the upbringing of of frugality. And it doesn't have to be a lifelong thing, but in the beginning, um, you know, that can be a lot of help. So I'll answer your question. If you really want to take the passive journey and you have limited to no capital, I would say a couple different things you could do. Um, It doesn't have to be private placements and syndications like I invest in. That's usually a capital intensive business. But you could buy, let's say you got $10. You know, my nephews here, here's, I just had a conversation with a couple of my nephews. They, I opened them a, a brokerage account so I could start teaching them these things that we're talking about. We bought a few shares of a publicly traded REIT, a real estate investment trust. And it was like somewhere in the ballpark of $10 per share. And they had like a hundred bucks or something. So mm-hmm. we bought 10 shares and they get monthly cash flow, you know, they get dividends, I guess, uh, from these REITs. That's one way to start. I mean, you can literally start with a hundred bucks or 10 bucks. Um, Syndications of private placements, you know, probably start around 25,000 for an investment and probably go up from there just for perspective for for people. Um, And then also you can raise capital from other people and do your own deals. So if you want to syndicate and be a general partner and say, look, I found this you know, uh, 50 unit apartment building, and you want to go raise, you know, a couple million bucks or something to, to go close that deal. I'm just making these numbers up, by the way, that may not make sense in your market, but you can do that, you know? And so that's kind of the beautiful thing about syndication. You can be on the active side, you can be on the passive side. Um, and there's pros and cons, you know, to, to all of this. I've had success stories actively. I've had success stories passively and I've had things go bad in both both ends of that as well. So it's all kind of what's right for you, how much capital you have to work with and what makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a great lesson for them too, starting out, you know, your nephews, that's, uh, that's great learning at a young age, you know, passive income, it's gonna, gonna benefit them for sure, so. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible if you can get started at, you know, 18 years old instead of, you know, 40 years old. It's yeah. it's just incredible. <laughs> you go look at these compound interest yield curves and it's like, holy cow, what was oh, I doing? What a difference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you've been involved in a lot of syndications um, and other investments as well. 
everyone has had, you know, some sort of failed investment or a, or a bad experience, I guess, what was your worst moment as an investor and what lessons did you learn from it? Yeah, good question. I, um, interesting enough, my, my first real investing was done in single family real estate. And then as I mentioned around 2015, I had left this oil field job because I had enough cash flow to do so. And the first thing I wanted to learn for just self-discovery was stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. So I went to go work for a brokerage firm, very, very large uh, brokerage firm. It got a Series 7 and 63 license. And, and I just wanted to learn from the inside, what is this Wall Street stuff all about? Mm -hmm. And man, that didn't last long. I wasn't there, but like <laughs> nine months. And I thought, you know, <laughs> real estate still makes a lot more sense to <laughs> me anyway. And it's right for me. And I just felt a conflict of interest telling people about mutual funds, but then slash I'm putting all my money in real estate. It just wasn't a good fit. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so um, uh, I, I lost my train of thought. But what what was your question, Andrew? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, what was your um, what was your worst moment or worst? Oh, okay. In the lesson you you learned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm 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 getting there. Uh, that's okay. So so then I went back to real estate, and then I kind of got that bug of I want to experiment a little bit more. Maybe real estate's not the only thing in town. You know, I kind of go through these cycles mentally. So I joined this real estate uh, investor group, and every month there's a speaker or two talking about different asset classes and what they do, and they're usually raising capital or they're you know general partner or whatever. And there was this fund that was presented with, you know, very, very shiny uh, object, right? And, right. and the, the pro forma looked amazing. And it's, it's all these beautiful, great things. And it's better than real estate and blah, blah, blah. So I jumped on it preemptively on, on FOMO, fear of missing out. And I thought, man, I got to get in on this. Maybe this is the next big thing. This is where I should be putting my, my money and attention. Went pretty heavy on it in terms of how much I put in. And what they did or what they were proposing is that they were going to buy distressed debt, you know, so someone, you know, takes out a credit card through a bank, it's uncollateralized. So they go out and they put five grand on it and then they quit making payments. Mm -hmm. Well, the bank's not always in the business of collecting on that. You know, they, they may not have the infrastructure, the personnel, the time, the energy, the effort, whatever. It's not their specialty. So what they do often is they'll sell that debt, that uncollected debt, that 5,000 that they're owed at a discount to a third party who is in the business of collecting on, on debt like that, you know, a collection agency, basically. So they'll buy it for 2,500 bucks. I'm just making these numbers up. And then they'll try to collect and, and work a deal with the person, you know, hey, you owe five grand. What if you only paid us 3,500, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, long story short, I understood it from a macro level, like I'm describing to you right now. I did not understand all the inner workings, all the different partners, all the change of hands. There's a lot involved in this fund. One of the partners ended up being a Ponzi scheme. I didn't know this partner. They were out of state. You know, they were running a whole muck over there. And we ended up losing. I mean, we still don't know the final numbers. This thing's been in receivership for years. But I at least lost 35% of my money, if not more. And, um, you know, things can go wrong. And so it's, you know, just keep it simple invest in what you know and what makes sense. That's why I'm such a big advocate for real estate. It's really not, it's not rocket science. You know, you, you, you have a roof over your head, someone pays you to rent it out. It just makes logical sense. So that was a hard lesson learned is, is trying to experiment with new things all the time and chase the shiny object can get you into some trouble. So um, 
yeah, just go back to the basics, I guess, for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Great answer. That's great. Um, so if you had to name three people that have been most influential to you um, in your investing career so far, who would they be and, and why? Yeah. Wow. I, well, for, for privacy's sake, I'm, I'm not going to give their real names, but uh, I do have some mentors and I'm huge on mentors because, you know, I'm all, I'm all about self-education as a macro level thing, right? Listen to podcasts like these, read books, get on YouTube, read headlines and articles. But here's the thing with a book. In 2015, I made uh, a deal with myself <laughs> on New Year's. I said, look, I'm going to read 52 books this year. That's a book a week. And, and I did that. And I'm not advocating anybody do that because it was information overload. It was just chaos. It took way too much of my time away. I wasn't taking massive action on anything but reading. Mm -hmm. uh, so I missed out on a lot of things and I couldn't really, you know, retain all of that. It was just, it was just too much. Um, and the thing about a mentor is versus a book, when you read a book, you learn some great things, hopefully. But as you flip that last page over, it's like, well, I have a question about today, you know, 2021. What, look what the Fed just did yesterday. So the book can't answer those questions for you. <laughs> and good luck trying to mingle with the author. Sometimes right. you can. Most times you can't. Um, so you you find a mentor so that you can run real life situations off of them, right? If you are in my shoes today with this much money and looking at doing this, would you consider that or would you think differently on it? You know, that's the power of mentors. So few people in my life, there's two in particular I met around 2015. And this is what really helped me make the change from active to passive. And more specifically, multifamily syndications versus any other asset type. It's nothing against any other asset type. It's just these two mentors I ran into were in their 60s and 70s. They had been full-time LPs for decades, and they were open to sharing their experiences, the pros, the cons, the risks, their portfolio with me. And that made it real. I'm no longer reading a book. I'm no longer you know, hearing an infomercial, I'm talking to a person that does this professionally full-time. Mm -hmm. And that was just revolutionary to me. It just, it was mind boggling. And it was, it was that truly that aha moment and transition in my life. The other mentor is, um, as I mentioned earlier, Robert Kiyosaki, when I read that first book, even though he didn't pinpoint, of course, the date that the stock market was going to collapse. That book was written in like 2000 and he just says, oh, it's coming. Mm -hmm. Well, was it the dot-com bubble? Was it 08? Is it what comes next? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that he knows. But it, it did help me in hindsight thinking, man, that book really did. I took action, right, because of the book and mm -hmm. I stayed out of the stock market and then it collapsed. And so I, I felt there was a sense of value. Mm -hmm. And so I kept reading, you know, Cash Flow Quadrant and, you know, Unfair Advantage and all these books he wrote afterwards. I think I read them all. And so I would say he's a mentor of sorts. Not that I know him personally, but, you know, I've read and, and, and viewed so much of his content. Um, you know, he's been a very macro level concept kind of guy. And um, so mentors can be in the form of books, podcasts or actual face-to-face, -face. but yeah, learn, learn from people that way, really go deep and, you know, don't just, just skim an article and, and then go take action, you know, go a little bit deeper than that would be my, my advice there. Yeah. That's great advice. So 
52 books in a year. That's uh, that's incredible. I've, I've been uh, trying that this year and it does take a lot of time. You're correct. <laughs> It does. Yeah. I had an interesting year that year. I was, that's when I was working overseas and I had the schedule that was um, 35 days on and 35 days off. So when I was home, I was reading. And when I was over there, there was a lot of downtime in the oil field over there. And so I was reading there too. And so it was like that weird, I don't know that I could do it now, um, nor, nor would I want to do it now, but, uh, yeah, maybe maybe read like twelve books a year. That would be fantastic. Yeah, if anybody exactly. listening can pull that off, you're 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 twelve twelve x above the average person. Exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. So, how has um, how has passive income affected you know your family life and, and just your life in general? Yeah, man. You know, it, it's not a to me. It's not a money game. You know, this is what so many people get wrong. It's not about money. It's not about greed of money. It's not about pocketing money. Forget about money. It's about flexibility. Mm -hmm. And I know I already mentioned that, but but seriously, I'll share with you a a story of of Bronnie. So there was a registered uh, nurse. I think she was out in Australia. And this was like 2007, 2008. And she worked in a terminally ill uh, patient care unit. So people living out their final days in life. And she would talk with them and they would share their top regrets in life, you know, just before passing with her, which is really a sad thing. And she ended up, you know, of, of course, with privacy and, and not name dropping, but she would, she would write a, a blog about this stuff. And that blog turned into a book. The book turned into speaking events. You know, she ended up leaving the, the whole nursing thing altogether over a period of years. But this is what stood out to me. There's um. Her, her book is called The Top Regrets of the Dying, by the way, if you want to go check it out. But the top two were, I never pursued my dreams and aspirations, and I didn't spend enough time with friends and family. Those are the top two among so many people that she surveyed. And I got to thinking about that, and I got to reflecting as I was in the oil industry, and I didn't have time to vacation. I didn't have time to date, much less start a family, much less anything else. you know. And I thought, this is no way to live. And I will absolutely have regrets over this long term if I decide I'm going to stay in this type of role for you know 50 years. Not that I would have made it, but you know, had I done that. And so you know, when your when your passive income or your cash flow, whatever you want to call it, exceeds your lifestyle expenses, your rent, your mortgage, your insurance, your food, your travel, whatever you have financial independence, right? So that gives you flexibility over lifestyle, as I, as I mentioned before, mm-hmm. switching to part-time work, move into the place you've always wanted to live, you know, traveling more. My wife and I are world travelers. We love travel. So whatever it is for you, that's what it allows you to do. But the traditional American system is all about hide your money away and don't touch it till your 60s. And if social security is there for you, it'll be, you know, at age 65 plus. And if you have a pension and it doesn't get taken away or dissolved, then that's going to be in your 60s. All these things. And it's like, man, you know, screw 60s and 70s. Start focusing on cash flow now, you know? And, And if nothing else, you have the option, you know? And I'm all about having options. If you want to retire early, do it. If you don't want to, postpone it. You know what I mean? But you've you've got that liquidity there. And that's what I decided to do is re-engineer this whole American mindset around finance and investing and start focusing on, on cash flow now, not later. Very few people do that. And, and I promise you, anybody listening, if you focus on it, like I'm talking about doing, 
<laughs> you're not going to have regrets later in life. You know what I mean? Uh, if anything, you're going to be so far ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's incredible to, to look at stats to say you're, you're, I'm making these up by the way, but your average uh, social security check is 1200 bucks. It's probably somewhere close to that. Maybe it's 1500. Yeah. But, but you could potentially build that up on your own through real estate mm-hmm. in a matter of like two or three years. Yeah. Like with dedication and hard work and effort, you could do that. So why wait till you're 65 to maybe get that check, exactly. you know, much less inflation and all the rest when you could just create that way sooner, you know? And so that's kind of my message to the world is, is kind of rethink that, that system that debatably may not be working anymore for people. Yeah. I love it. No, I totally agree. Absolutely. Especially, you know, inflation coming and Everyone's talking about inflation these days. So to get your money out and work for you is, is a great thing. So Absolutely. Um, so last question, then we'll head into our five to thrive round. Um, if you could step into my shoes uh, today, what question would you ask yourself that I didn't? Yeah, I, I think getting clear, this is something I did wrong and, or, or didn't do for a long time. I didn't get clear on my goals and my objectives and my why. Everyone talks about have a why or what's your purpose, especially people who follow, you know, Tony <laughs> Robbins and, you know, all these, these, these gurus of motivation and mindset. So, you know, when I reflect back, I think in the beginning, you know, 2009, 2010, I couldn't have answered many questions for you back then about anything. You know, why am I doing a flip? Why am I doing a vacation rental? Why do I have a buy and hold? Why single family? Why, why, why? I had no answers. I had no definite defined goals. Wasn't like this much net worth by this age, this much cash flow in this time frame. It wasn't like that. It was just like, I don't know. I'm I'm just doing real estate because someone said real estate's good. I had no no solid answer. So get clear on your, you know, self-awareness, right? A uh, little self-discipline and a little self-focus, you know, goes a long way. So th- those would be the things I would focus on. That's great. Yeah, I think they say most people spend more time planning their vacation than they do planning, you know, their future. So hundred <laughs> percent yeah. is key. I agree. It's, it's been, it's been good. So now we're going to go into our, our five to thrive. Uh, so basically I'm just going to kind of rapid fire five words to you um, and just respond. It's, it's like a word association game. Uh, the first word or phrase that comes to your mind, um, but you just can't use uh, the same word or phrase twice. Okay. All right. So here we go. The first one is money. Time. Success. Self-defined. That's good. Passive income. Freedom. Failure. Learning opportunity. And time. Our greatest asset. <laughs> Those are great. <laughs> well, Travis, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, and I'm sure our viewers are going to get a ton of information out of this. So, we really appreciate you coming on. Appreciate it, Andrew. Appreciate it, everybody listening. Thank you. 